Well, happy Father's Day. Today is Father's Day. If you didn't remember and forgot, uh, you might want to head out to Kroger, get a card, do something, R- write something while I'm talking. And Well, for the um, past couple of weeks, we've been going through Psalms, and we're actually going to spend pretty much the whole summer in the book of Psalms. So kind of cheesy little name, the Summer in Psalms, is what we're going to be doing for a while. And if you don't know a whole lot about Psalms, they were really really originally written as like songs or hymns. And they were, as Rusty said a couple weeks ago, they were like a huge part of Jewish culture. They would have been memorized, they would have been sung, and, and, and it would be a lot like for us, like certain hymns. You just say it and people know it, like Amazing Grace. Like most people at the very least, can carry the tune, even if they don't know what the words are, or they may be good with verse one, you get to verse two, and you're like, <laughs> but um, same thing with like, how great thou art, or blessed assurance, or great is thy faithfulness. They're like, like even people who didn't really grow up in church typically will know a lot of those hymns. And so for the people of that day, the Israelites, the Psalms were kind of that same thing. They knew them, they could sing them, um, but I, I think that sometimes we can know the words of something, but it not really do anything to us. In the same type of way that people may know amazing grace, but they really not know, may not know what amazing grace really is. But the Psalms were this thing for a Jewish culture that they, they knew them, they sung them, they memorized them. And Psalms would have been written by real people going through real things, but they would have carried this weight so much. And um, they, they also, there would be, if you read through Psalms, you can see that they're all kind of a little bit different. There's some that are kind of, you can lump together, but if you read people way smarter than me, they'll say that there's really kind of five different types of Psalms. So there might be a Psalms, uh, or in, in Psalms, you might find a psalm of praise, which is really like thanking God for his nature, for his attributes, for um, just that he's praiseworthy and kind of encourages people to praise. So that's kind of one type of psalm that you might see. Another type of psalm might be a psalm of wisdom, which is really kind of like some teaching, something um, wise advice that comes out through psalms. Then there'll be other psalms that are kind of psalms of thanksgiving, really thanking God for what he has done in the past. Um, there's psalms of lament, where it's just really like grief and despair and recognizing that God is present even in those times. So there's psalms of lament. And there's also the fifth category that people will say is that there's royal psalms. And this is a psalm that really expresses that God is king, that he's in control, that he's powerful, that he's all-powerful, and even maybe that there's a coming king. Who's, who will be coming. And so there's, like I said, there's a different types of psalms. There's five different types that people typically will throw the categories in. And if you were with us over the past couple weeks, two weeks ago, Rusty shared, and he started ta- by talking a lot about His Hope, which is a ministry that really reaches out to those impacted by addiction, which is a, a ministry that's really important to us at the greenhouse. But then he switched in and he started talking about Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 is like the perfect picture of a psalm of lament. In it, it says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? In it, it says, how long will you hide yourself from me? How long do I have to feel sorrow? It's like this beautiful picture um, of an ugly situation, of this dark feeling inside. It's this psalm of lament. But in it, at the end of it, it says, but I have trusted and I will sing. And so that's kind of a perfect picture of a psalm of lament. And then last week, Bob shared, he actually shared from Psalm 119, and he really talked a lot about in his own life and his own experiences how God's word has really transformed him. 
And so he talked about the fact that in Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, and in it, it talks about that God's word should be a light to our feet. It should be a lamp unto our path. It, it says that um, we should open our, uh, we, it's a prayer that, we'd op- that God would open our eyes to show us wondrous things from his word. In it, it says things like, um, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But all of it together, really, it's a psalm of wisdom. It's a psalm of teaching. And so two weeks ago, psalm of lament. Last week, a psalm of wisdom. And this week, I think the, the category that one, the, the, the psalm that we're going to talk about best fits in is, the, is a royal psalm. So before we dive in, um, not every psalm will fall neatly into one of those categories. However, many of them, you'll be able to see it. If you kind of think through those categories, you'll be able to see it play out. Um, some of those psalms, some psalms will fall into the combination where you might see a couple of them. But then another thing, kind of a disclaimer is, as you read through psalms, like I would challenge everybody this summer as we're preaching through psalms to really be in psalms, reading it, studying it, thinking it through. But one of the things that I'll say in it, in the same type of way that the Bible is not chronological, the Psalms aren't written chronological. It's this collection of songs that is all put together, but they're not in, in order. And so one of the things that's been super helpful for me is to, to um, get a chronological Bible reading plan. I don't know if anybody's ever done this, but some people will read through the Bible in a year, but you can also find a chronological. So example, if you read Genesis 1 through 11, then you would read Job. Then after Job, you'd pick up back up in Genesis. And then when you get to the New Testament, you'd be reading parts of Acts, then you'd stop and read one of Paul's letters, and then you'd read more of Acts and go back. But again, when you put it in chronological order, you begin to see what's going on right around, right before, right after, and it can radically change how you read Psalms. And you'll see that a little bit this week, but over the coming weeks, you'll see that even more, that the, understanding the, chrono, the chronologicalness that's not the way to say it. But when you understand that, it, it really does something. It changes the way that the psalm is sung. It changes the way that the psalm, uh, what it says to us. And so those are a couple um, quick things. But again, many of the psalms are written by David. There's a group of people around the time of David where they're also writing psalms. But there's also some all the way back in Moses. Moses is, is um, a contributor to the psalms, and so is Solomon. So again, it's important to see what's going on around it. And so for today, we're going to be in Psalm 91. So if you want to get your Bibles, flip open to Psalm 91. The thought is that this is written by Moses. The thought is that this was written after God had done this awesome thing of delivering the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. God had marched them out. They'd been walking through the wilderness, and the soles of their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years as they were walking through the desert. God provided food. He provided water as they were marching through the desert. And... Um, you see God leading them by a cloud of or a cloud by day and fire by night, and He takes them all the way to the edge of the promised land, and that is about the time when this psalm is most likely have written had been written, but it's just before the time when Joshua will lead the people into the promised land. So. Um, I have this tendency, Joe and I talked about this the other day, that there's this tendency in church to almost use prayer as a transition moment. It's like someone's going to step up from the stage down to the stage, so let's pray so that way everybody doesn't see as all this happens. And we have this weird thing that we do of just, we pray 
sometimes for the wrong reason, even in church. And so I have this kind of custom. I'm just kind of used to, I don't know why, I just do it where I read the text and then I pray. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was like, man, so often I think that that's backwards. And so I want us to pray that God will open up our hearts to hear his word. And, and last week I asked this too. I, I just felt called to kind of say this. And I, I'd gone up to the mic if you weren't here. I'd gone up to the mic and I just said, I feel like, I know for me that I'm distracted right now. And I feel like there's probably other people. And so last week I asked, just by a showing hands, how many people feel distracted? And I want to ask that again. How many people here, you're here today, but you just kind of feel distracted? Anybody? So I want us to pray that God will remove the distractions, that we will be able to truly hear his word, and that he will speak to us in a powerful way. So let's pray. God, I, um, I know that you are a powerful, awesome, mighty God. And yet, God, if I'm open, if I'm real, if I'm honest, it is so easy to be distracted by so many things. I can be distracted by what I want for lunch. I can be distracted by noises in a room. I can be distracted by my own thoughts, by lies that the enemy is speaking. And there's so many things that can cause us distractions. And so, God, I just I simply pray that you will remove the distractions. Your, your word tells us that it does not come back void. So God, we pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open up our minds, and that your word would penetrate our hearts, and that you would use it in a powerful and awesome way. I pray that today we see you more profoundly and maybe even in a new light. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 91. I want us to, I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 91. This is what it says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked." Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The adder is a snake. The Young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And then it seems that it's God speaking now. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I think that you have this powerful 
psalm, a psalm that's kind of saying that God is able, that God can, that God does, that God will. In it, it says that God can be our shelter. God can be our refuge. God can be our fortress. God can protect us from danger. God can cover us with his wings. He can deliver us from the fowler. He can be our shield. He can protect us from the arrows of the enemy that even if thousands or ten thousands come upon us, God still can. It says that by dwelling in God's presence is where we find protection, love, care, concern, that when we are in his presence that he can, so much so that no evil will befall us, no plague will come near us. It says that God can send angels to guard us. It says that God can stop a lion in its tracks, that God can smash a serpent. This psalm is just this powerful song of of who God is, of what he's like, of his power, that God can. And and to me, it almost seems like it's this royal, like this royal psalm. It's like a battle cry. It's a chant. And I think it reminds me of high school basketball. That may sound really weird, but follow me. In basketball, I played basketball in high school. By played, I meant that I sit on the bench. But um, I'm not very tall. I'm not very fast. I can't jump real high. But for some reason, we would be back there getting ready to come out for the game. We would practice all week. We'd watch game footage. We were ready for the game. And I knew I wasn't going to play. Like, that was a given. It was rare that I was going to even get in the game. But, but for some reason, right as we were getting ready to come out, the song I the Tiger would come on. Anybody an Eye of the Tiger fan? You've seen Rocky, and Eye of the Tiger would come on. This is going to be terrible. I'm not musically inclined, but it would start off, and it would be like, dun, 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 dun. And right when that, the last one would hit, that's when we would run out. And it was really dorky, but I promise you, I could jump three inches higher when Eye of the Tiger was playing. For real, I could, I could run, like, a lot faster. Like, instead of being slow, I was, like, a little bit slow. But for some reason, this song would pump me up, and I was, like, ready to fight. I was ready to get in the game, even though I knew I wouldn't. Like, I was so, so ready. Um, and then I would just go sit on the bench. But how often is that what we need I really think Psalm 91 is this beautiful psalm of like Eye of the Tiger. It's like God can. God can. And and as I was reading it and meditating on it this week, I I really almost feel like like the words disappeared and the psalm just said God can, God can, God can, God can. And for me this past week, it really kind of like, pumped me up as I read through this psalm, and I think it's this beautiful psalm. And I picture, because the psalms were connected to the people, they, they read the psalms, they memorized the psalms, they would, they would sing the songs, and I can picture that as Joshua's leading God's people into the promised land, before they fight their first battle, I can almost picture them singing this psalm. I can almost picture them saying, God is our shield. No trouble will come near us. There'll be no terror that will come near us. God is our shelter. He is our fortress. There will be no destruction. There's no enemy that can, or no evil that can befall on us. God will deliver us. God will protect us. God will rescue us. And I can just picture them singing this as they march around the walls of Jericho. 
And as battles continue on and on and on throughout God, God allowing his people to take over the promise, and I picture this psalm being one that they sing and that they, like, it's like a battle cry. Well, if you know much about the history of the Old Testament, what will happen is it'll seem like they knew the song, but they forgot it. So what will happen is there'll be judges that will rise up. And there's some really cool parts where it seems like they remember the song again, but then it seems like they forgot the song. And then they remember the song, and then eventually God gives them a king. It's a king by the name of Saul. And at the start of it, it seems like Saul remembers this type of a song. He remembers the battle cry. He remembers what God can do, but then quickly he goes his own way. And uh, eventually what will happen is God will say that there's going to be a new king a man by the name of David, who will be attributed to writing and compiling many of the Psalms and putting it into the order that we have. And David's just this little shepherd boy. He's just a music man. He goes and he plays music for Saul when Saul gets freaked out and starting to act crazy and it calms him down. And and he'll also just be like a little errand boy for his dad. But it seems to me that David knows this song. He knows that God can So much so, he shows up one day to bring in supplies to his brothers, and he shows up in this battle against the Philistines, and there's this huge mountain of a man named Goliath. It's estimated by the cubits and whatever that we don't know what in the world that means is he was like nine foot, nine inches tall. This monster of a man named Goliath. And he says, rather than us all having this battle, bring one person against me. And there are no takers. It seems that people have forgot that God can. And instead of thinking through what the psalm says is that God can, they start focusing on, I can't. Have you ever been there? Instead of focusing on God can, they start focusing on, I can't. They were afraid. They saw the giant and they thought, I can't defeat him. How often in your life, how often in my life are we faced with a giant And the first thing we think is, I can't. It may be a financial battle. Maybe an emotional battle. Could be addiction. Could be anger. Could be any number of things. But what happens is this giant comes and he rears his ugly face. And the first thought is, I can't. In this psalm, I can picture David not saying, I can't, but saying, my God can. David comes forward and says, I'll fight this guy. And they're all like, dude, you are crazy. You're like this tiny little guy, and he's this mountain of a man. And they're like, well, here, let's give you a bunch of armor. And they put all this armor that doesn't fit him. He can't even move. He says, I don't need any of this stuff. He goes out. Goliath rears his ugly face, and he doesn't say, I can't. He says, my God can. And what David says is, you know, there would be lions and bears that would come to threaten the sheep when I was a shepherd, and I would strike them dead. To me, what he's saying, it's almost as if he's thinking about this psalm, and he's speaking, verse 13. 
You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. He's been in those days where lions would come to try to get his sheep, and he's like, no, not on my watch, because my God can. And so he had these times where he would do it. It's like he's meditating on this psalm where God rescued, God protected, and he says this, David says this, the, when the lions and the bears would come near to the shepherd, or come near to the sheep, the Lord delivered me then and he will deliver me now. To me, he's thinking through, maybe not this exact psalm, but he's not focused on I can't, he's focused on my God can. My God can rescue, my God can protect. When he faces the giant, you know what he says? He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I don't know if you're like me, but I stand against the giant that's before me, and I so often think I can't. David stands before this giant, and he says, my God can. I think that we've lost that. Like, I think if you read through the story of the Old Testament, people all over the place are forgetting what God can do. And I think that if we really look into our own hearts, into our own minds, we too forget what God can do. And I think that we often say, I can't, rather than God can. But I think that this psalm gives us this battle cry, this chant, this war song to remind us of what God can do. If we think about it, the psalm, the wording of this psalm, the, the, the heart behind this psalm that God can continues. We have verses like, when you are weak, you are strong. We have verses like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We have verses that say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have verses that tell us that we who are in Christ, that we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And yet we get this problem that is we're face to face with and we first thought, I can't. Rather than first thought, my God can. We have verses that tell us that the same spirit that is within us is the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And yet we see a problem, we think, I can't. We, we, we always just are right there face to face with this problem. I can't rather than saying, my God can. This psalm to me tells us that God is in control, that he is powerful, and that our God can. Now, side sermon just for half of a second. There are times in our life, there's times in my life where I actually get to a face of a problem and I actually think God can. And it's amazing the giant just falls like that. And then what happens next is I get a little cocky. Does that happen? Like you finally stand up and like, I'm not going to talk bad about that person at work. And you, you, the giant, that's so huge of a giant, it falls. And then somebody else says something you're like, yeah, he's an idiot. Oh, man, what I, like, it happens so often. So I think what tends to happen in our lives is we see, we see a giant and we think, I can't. But I think there's also times where what happens is we see a giant we're like, I can do it. I got it. You know, just the other day, this happened and I, I did it. So I think what can happen is we see a problem, we see a giant, and I think I can't. Or we can also think we can. But what should be the heart cry from us that comes out of Psalm 91 is that God can. 
when we think of our lives and we think through the stress that we have at work, or we think through our marriages, there are marriages in this room that are not going well. There are parents in this room that feel like you're drowning. Most of you who have more than three kids know exactly what that means. But parenting is tough, or maybe there's these big things that are on the horizon. Maybe there's financial, maybe there's storms all around. Maybe you've received bad news. And there's this giant standing before you. There's anxiety or fear. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe because you had twins. Maybe you're depressed or overwhelmed. Maybe you continually seem to fall on the same pattern of sin. And it's this giant that is standing before you. I think for people, even in this room, ones that I know, there's this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of unworthiness. That you fight and you fight and you fight. There's guilt and shame that just seems like a giant standing before you. And you face it and you think, I can't. The psalm is telling us that our God can. Moses is writing this to say he can. Like if you look through some of these words throughout here, that God can be our shelter. What that means is that he can be our place of comfort. With him there is warmth. With him there is safety. That he can be our shadow. We can, or we can rest in his shadow so we can go under his wings and be hidden and protected from everything that comes around. Words like refuge. He can be our refuge. That means he can be our escape. He can be like the safe house. He can be our fortress, strong and powerful, this impenetrable force. No matter what circumstances are going on around us, he can be our fortress, an impenetrable force where no evil, no plague, no trouble can come near us. No terror. We have nothing to fear when we are dwelling in his presence. It says that he can deliver. That means he can take from one place to another. He can take from a place of danger to a place of safety. He can cover us, protect us. It says that we will not be um, subject to destruction. That means put to an end. There are times when we face things in our life and we really think this is going to take me out. But when we're dwelling in the presence of the Lord, nothing can destroy us to take us out. It talks about arrows if you're thinking about battling an enemy and an enemy's coming towards you, you start shooting arrows, it's going to either be a kill shot or it's going to slow them down. And not many people are just going to run into flying arrows. So the enemy seeking to shoot these arrows hit us with shots that will slow us or kill us. There'll be pestilence. Things that can cause us to slow down. Things that can cause us the growth to stop. But God wants to, watch, to guard us. That means to watch over us. If you think of a guard, like what happens at night? There's like a night watch. Why? So that everybody else can sleep, yet there's one who's not asleep, whose eyes are wide open, who's staying alert, who's watching, that God wants to do that in our lives. God can be the guard while we are able to rest. God can protect. He can watch over. He can help out. He can rescue. That means to save when nothing else can save. I was thinking about this this week that, that God can. And I was thinking that he not only can help 
with the physical giants we face, the emotional giants we face, and the spiritual giants that we face. I was thinking about that God can protect us from actual threats, but also perceived threats. If, you're, if you really stop and think about it, the things that most of us fear the most are silly. They're just perceived threats. Like, I know one of Sarah's relatives, he is very fearful of tsunamis. He lives in Ohio. But, but that's the case for, for so many of us. We're, we're fearful of these giants that really aren't even actual threats. They're perceived threats. But I also thought about this this week. You know what? So often we don't really trust in the Lord. We don't, we don't have to come to him with, I can't, my God can. You know why? Because we have our door locks. If you think about it, you're, you're, you're laying in bed at night. You're like, did I lock the door? You go downstairs, you lock the door. Now you feel a little bit of comfort, a little bit of peace. You feel like, yeah, okay, we're good. We have our security systems. Beep, 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 beep. And it's going to beep if someone comes in the door. And so we feel a little bit better about that. Like, right, we're good. We don't need to go to God for protection. We don't need to go to God for safety because we have our doors locked. We have our security system. We live in a nice neighborhood. We have places where we're just not going to go because there's bad things that can happen there. Maybe some of us have a gun in the safe next to the bed, loaded, locked. We got it all ready. We don't need to trust the Lord. He doesn't need to be our protection because we've established things that will protect us. We got our fences in our backyard. We got a garage door so you can pull when you close the garage, boom, we're good. We have our basements for when a storm comes. We don't often feel that we need God. I think what happens is we turn to things, even in those moments where a giant starts to rear its head, rather than us like, my God can. I can't, my God can, or I can, rather than my God can, I think what happens is sometimes we just don't even want to explore it. We don't even want to think about it, and so we just bury our head in the sand. We bury our faces in our phones or in social media or TV or food or substances or even relationships or into our hobbies, into our work. But the fact is, is all of us in this room face different types of giants at different points in time. And when we come to those, Psalm 91 would say, don't say I can't. Don't say I can. Say my God can. Verse 1 says this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Most High. Verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. Verse 14 says this, and it's God speaking, because he holds fast to me, I will deliver, I will protect, I will answer, I will be with him, I will rescue, I will honor, I will satisfy him, I will show him my salvation. My question for you is this, is where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in the land of I can't? Are you dwelling in the land of I can Or are you dwelling in the land of my God can? I think if you look at your life, you can answer that question. You know, as a kid, um, we had a security system as a kid growing up. And it was notorious for some false alarms. 
But it was funny because I actually felt pretty safe until the alarm went off, and then I felt really, really unsafe. At times the alarm went off. There was one time where we had a pipe, I think, that burst, and so water was spraying into the basement, and so the alarm went off, thinking it's, it wasn't an intruder, it was other than water, but the alarm went off, and I was freaked out. There were other times where I would be sound asleep and I'd have a nightmare and I'd wake up and I'd be just super fearful. Or there'd be a storm going on outside and there was, there was many times where I was convinced like our neighbor's house is on fire right now. I just got struck by lightning, I guarantee it. And when I would be in that moment gripped with terror, whether it was because the alarm went off, because it was a storm, because of a nightmare, because of anything else, you know what I would do? I'd call for my dad. Those of you who know my dad, my dad's here today. He's not a very strong guy. I think I could take him now. <laughs> but when my dad came in the room, I felt safe. What would he have done to a lightning bolt? He couldn't have protected me from a lightning bolt. He couldn't have protected me from a tornado. He couldn't have really protected me from an armed guards coming in. But when I rested... When my father came into the room and got in the bed there and like when his presence was there, when, I, when my father's presence was there, all of that stuff that scared me, it just melted away and I could rest easy. That's what this psalm is saying. When we are in his presence, all of that can melt away. But what we do is we so often come to the problem and we say, I can't. Or we come to the problem and say, I can, rather than coming to the problem, coming into the midst of God's presence and saying, my God can. Today, being Father's Day, there are probably people in this room who you had a father that same way, that if you were scared, if you were fearful, you could call out and you'd feel safety in his presence. It's a great day to remember things like that, Father's Day. There's also people in this room who I'm sure who'd had a father that they felt the opposite about. The place where I feel the most fear is in the presence of my father. I do not want to minimize that in any type of a way, but I want to say to you that that is not what our Heavenly Father is like. And we can go into the presence, dwelling before our Father in heaven, and feel comfort. And so today, while we celebrate Father's Day, I, I want to make sure we celebrate our Heavenly Father. The Father who can protect us from the lightning bolts. He can protect us from the tornado. He can protect us from any storm, emotional storm, a physical storm, a spiritual storm. But I want to show you one more thing as I was reading this this week that just, it really got to me this week. We face our problems, we say, I can, that's wrong. We sometimes face our problems and we say, I can't, that's wrong. We should face our problems as Psalm 91 is that, that God can. However, Think back to the creation, okay? The reason we have these little things up here is to remind us of the entire story of the Bible. So the very beginning in creation, God creates everything. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's this beautiful thing. And then he says, listen, you can eat from any of the trees. Just do not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And it was Eve's fault, but I'm just kidding. 
even, even encouraged the man, and the man did not say anything, which is a problem for many of us men sometimes. He said, we should eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they do. And instantly, it changes everything. That's when sin comes into the picture. Now, every person that is born is born a sinner, born separated from God. All of us, each of us turn to our own way. Each of us have our idea of the way things that are supposed to be, and everybody's supposed to surrender and submit to my version of the way things should be. That's, that's in all of us. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? It's the first time there's a prophecy about a coming king. It's the first prophecy about Jesus. Genesis 3.15, and it talks about that he, the serpent, will bite his heel, but he, the coming king, Jesus, will stomp his head. What we see in Genesis chapter 3.15 is the first point to Jesus coming. And what we will see in Jesus, in that Messiah, in that coming king, is that he will stomp on the head of the serpent. Look again. Psalm 91, verse 13. There's a coming king, there's a Messiah who will stomp on the head of the serpent. But those of us who dwell in the presence of the Lord, what does verse 13 say? You, those of you who are in Christ, who are dwelling in Jesus, you will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Here's what's so powerful. You can't. God can. But when we are in Christ, when we are in relationship with him, when we are in his dwelling place, we can. It's this unbelievable, crazy thought to me. That is how we are more than conquerors. That is how the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, that you can do exceedingly abundant beyond all you can ask or imagine. This is by the power at work within us. We so often are going around as these Christians with no power at all. And the fact is, is we don't have any power other than the power of God. And when we're resting and we're dwelling with him, we have the power that he had so much so. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that you will do even greater works than I have. If there is a verse that I struggle with believing more than any, that one's it. For those of us who are in Christ, God has transferred that power to us. In the same way that he transferred our deserving of death to our getting life, that was a transfer. In the same way, we have no power and he transfers it to us that we do have his power when we rest in him. To me, this psalm, Psalm 91, is a battle cry It's this reminder that God is bigger, that God is stronger, that God is able, that God can, that God does, and that God will. In the midst of our giants, we shouldn't say, I can't. We should say, God can. In the midst of the giants before us, we definitely don't want to say, I can. We want to say, God can. In the midst of those giants, we should say, when I dwell with him, then I can. There are people in this room who are facing all sorts of giants. May not be a nine foot, nine inch giant, but there's something standing before you. Do you really believe that God can? 
Or do you look at the problem and think, I can't? My challenge for you is that you would read through Psalm 91 and you would meditate on that, that you would grab a hold of those truths. Maybe you are here today and you're kind of new to the whole church thing. Like, I don't really even know what that means that God can. What it really means is that God sent his son Jesus. Because we can't. Because there's this fracture between us and God that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And because of that, God sent his son to fix that. So not only can he protect, not only can he do all those things, but we can be in a relationship with the God that created everything. It's the way that we have the Father that we can say, we can call out to. So if you are here and you've never called out to him, that's where it starts. And in the same way that as I, as a kid, in the midst of fear, in the midst of storms, would call out to my father, and he would come. I don't remember a time where I would call out, and he didn't come. And if you are here today, and there's a problem that you feel like you're facing, there's something in your life, my challenge, my prayer, my encouragement for you, and the same for me, is that we would call out to our father. Remembering that he can. Let's pray. God, your word tells us that you can do exceedingly abundant beyond all we can ask or imagine. Your, your word tells us that we are more than conquerors. Your word so profoundly shows us how much you loved us, that you came to this earth to be in a relationship with us. God, I um, know that there are people in this room, probably maybe even people whose marriage is about to be over, people who are just overwhelmed. I wouldn't even be surprised if there are people in this room that have even recently considered suicide. God, I pray that we would not be a people that focus on the fact that we can't, but that we would be a focus, we would focus on the fact that our God can. God, I pray that we would be a people who trust you for big things and therefore see you do big things. God, I pray for all of us in this room that you would be our shelter, that you would be our refuge, that you would be our hiding place, that we would rest in the shadow of your wings. God, we are a people who need to be delivered, who need to be rescued. We are a, God, a people who need you. And God, we thank you that when we call, you're right there. Even in your word, it says, if anyone were to, were to knock, that he will open the door. God, help us to be a people that come to you, cry out to you, that seek you, that knock and that ask. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.